Paddington Bear, Chapter Six: A Visit to the Theatre. The Browns were all very excited. Mr. Brown had been given tickets for a box at the theatre. It was the first night of a brand new play, and the leading part was being played by the world-famous actor Sir Cecily Bloom. Even Paddington became infected with the excitement. He made several journeys to his friend Mr. Gruber to have the theatre explained to him. Mr. Gruber thought he was very lucky to be going to the first night of a new play. All sorts of famous people will be there, he said. I don't suppose many bears will have that sort of opportunity once in a lifetime. Mr. Gruber lent Paddington several second-hand books about the theatre. He was rather a slow reader, but there were a lot of pictures, and in one of them. A big cut-out model of a stage, which sprang up every time he opened the pages. Paddington decided that when he grew up, he wanted to be an actor. He took to standing on his dressing table, and striking poses in the mirror, just as he had seen them in the books. Mrs. Brown had her own thoughts on the subject. "I do hope it's a nice play," she said to Mrs. Bird. "You know what Paddington's like." He does take these things so seriously. Oh well," said Mrs. Bird. "I shall sit at home and listen to the wireless in peace and quiet, but it'll be an experience for him, and he does like experiences so. Besides, he's been very good lately. I know," said Mrs. Brown. "That's what worries me." As it turned out, the play itself was the least of Mrs. Brown's worries. Paddington was unusually silent all the way to the theatre. It was the very first time he had been out after dark, and the very first time he had seen the lights of London. Mr. Brown pointed out all the famous landmarks as they drove past in the car, and it was a gay party of Browns that eventually trooped into the theatre. Paddington was pleased to find it all exactly as Mr. Gruber had described to him, even down to the commissionaire who opened the door for them. And saluted as they entered the foyer. Paddington returned the salute with a wave of his paw, and then sniffed. Everything was painted red and gold, and the theatre had a nice, warm, friendly sort of smell. There was a slight upset at the cloakroom when he found he had to pay in order to leave his duffel coat and suitcase. The woman behind the counter turned quite nasty when Paddington asked for his things back. She was still talking about it in a loud voice as the attendant led them along the passage towards their seats. At the entrance to the box, the attendant paused. "Program, sir," she said to Paddington. "Oh yes, please," said Paddington, taking five. "Thank you very much." "And would you like coffee in the interval, sir?" she asked. Paddington's eyes glistened. "Oh yes, please," he said. Imagining it was a kind thought on the part of the theatre, he tried to push his way past, but the attendant barred the way. "That'll be seven pounds fifty pence," she said. "One pound each for the programmes, and fifty pence each for the coffee." Paddington looked as if he could hardly believe his ears. "Seven pounds and fifty pence," he repeated. "Seven pounds fifty." That's all right, Paddington," said Mr. Brown, anxious to avoid further fuss. "It's my treat. You go in and sit down." Paddington obeyed like a shot. 
but he gave the attendant a long, hard stare while she rearranged some cushions for his seat on the front row. All the same, he was pleased to see she had given him the one nearest the stage. He'd already sent a postcard to his Aunt Lucy with a carefully drawn copy of a plan of the theatre, which he'd found in one of Mr Gruber's books, and a small cross in one corner marked My Seat. No pause equals no sit. The theatre was quite full, and Paddington waved to the people down below, much to Mrs Brown's embarrassment. Several of them pointed and waved back. I do wish you wouldn't be quite so friendly, she whispered to Mr Brown. Wouldn't you like to take off your duffel coat now? asked Mr Brown. It'll be cold when you go out again. Paddington climbed up and stood on his chair. I think perhaps I will, he said. It's getting warm. Judy started to help him off with it. Mind my marmalade sandwich, cried Paddington as she placed it on the ledge in front of him. But it was too late. He looked round guiltily. Crikey, said Jonathan. It's fallen on someone's head. He looked over the edge of the box. It's that man with the bald head. He looks jolly cross. Oh, Paddington, Mrs Brown looked despairingly at him. Do you have to bring marmalade sandwiches to the theatre? It's all right, said Paddington cheerfully. I've some more in the other pocket if anyone wants one. They're a bit squashed, I'm afraid, because I sat on them in the car. There seems to be some sort of row going on down below, said Mr Brown, craning his head over to look over the edge. Some chap just waved his fist at me. And what's all this about marmalade sandwiches? Mr Brown was a bit slow on the uptake sometimes. Nothing, dear, said Mrs Brown hastily. She decided to let the matter drop. It was much easier in the long run. In any case, Paddington was having a great struggle with himself over some opera glasses. He had just seen a little box in front of him marked Opera Glasses, 20 pence. Eventually, after a great deal of thought, he unlocked his suitcase and from a secret compartment withdrew 20 pence. I don't think much of these, he said a moment later, looking through them at the audience. Everyone looks smaller. You've got them the wrong way round, silly, said Jonathan. Well, I still don't think much of them, said Paddington, turning them round. I wouldn't have bought them if I'd known. Still, he said, after a moment's thought, they might come in useful next time. Just as he began to speak, the overture came to an end, and the curtain rose. The scene was the living room of a large house, and Sir Seely Bloom, in the part of the village squire, was pacing up and down. There was a round of applause from the audience. You don't take them home, whispered Judy. You have to put them back when you leave. What? cried Paddington in a loud voice. Several calls of hush came from the darkened theatre as Sir Seely Bloom paused and looked pointedly in the direction of the Brown's box. Do you mean to say... Words failed Paddington for the moment. Twenty pence, he said bitterly. That's two buns worth. He turned his gaze on Sir Seely Bloom. Sir Seely Bloom looked rather irritated. He didn't like first nights, and this one in particular had started badly. He had a nasty feeling about it. He much preferred playing the hero, where he had the sympathy of the audience. And in this play, 
he was the villain. Being the first night of the play, he wasn't at all sure of some of his lines. To make matters worse, he arrived at the theatre only to discover that the prompt boy was missing, and there was no one else to take his place. Then there was the disturbance in the stalls just before the curtain went up. Something to do with a marmalade sandwich, so the stage manager had said. Of course, that was all nonsense, but still it was very disturbing. And then there was this noisy crowd in the box. He sighed to himself, it was obviously going to be one of those nights. But if Sir Seely Bloom's heart was not in the play, Paddington certainly was. He soon forgot about his wasted 20 pence and devoted all his attention to the plot. He decided quite early on that he didn't like Sir Seely Bloom and he stared at him hard through his opera glasses. He followed his every move and when, at the end of the first act, Sir Seely, in the part of the hard-hearted father, turned his daughter out into the world without a penny, Paddington stood up on his chair and waved his programme indignantly at the stage. Paddington was a surprising bear in many ways, and he had a strong sense of right and wrong. As the curtain came down, he placed his opera glasses firmly on the ledge and climbed off his seat. "'Are you enjoying it, Paddington?' asked Mr Brown. "'It's very interesting,' said Paddington. He had a determined note to his voice, and Mrs Brown looked at him sharply. She was beginning to recognise that tone, and it worried her. "'Where are you going, dear?' she asked, as he made for the door of the box. "'Oh, just for a walk,' said Paddington vaguely. "'Well, don't be too long,' she called, as the door closed behind him. "'You don't want to miss any of the second act.' "'Oh, don't fuss, Mary,' said Mr Brown. "'I expect he just wants to stretch his legs or something. "'He's probably gone out to the cloakroom.' "'But at that moment, Paddington was going.' not in the direction of the cloakroom, but towards a door leading to the back of the theatre. It was marked, Private, Artists Only. As he pushed the door open and passed through, he immediately found himself in an entirely different world. There were no red plush seats, everything was very bare. Lots of ropes hung down from the roof, pieces of scenery were stacked against walls, and everyone seemed in a great hurry. Normally, Paddington would have been most interested in everything, but now he had a purposeful look on his face. Seeing a man bending over some scenery, he walked over and tapped him on the shoulder. Excuse me, he said, can you tell me where the man is? Steve went on working. Man, he said, what man? The man, said Paddington patiently, the nasty man. Oh, you mean Sir Seeley. Steve pointed towards a long corridor. He's in his dressing room. You'd better not go disturbing him, because he's not in a very good mood, he looked up. Hey, he cried, you're not supposed to be in here. Who let a bear in? Paddington was far too far away to answer, even if he had heard. He was already halfway up the corridor, looking closely at all the doors. Eventually... He came to one with a large star on it and the words Sir Seely Bloom in big gold letters. Paddington drew a deep breath and then knocked loudly. There was no reply, so he knocked again. Still there was no reply. And so very cautiously 
he pushed open the door with his paw. Go away, said a booming voice. I don't want to see anyone. Paddington peered round the door. Sir Seely Bloom was lying stretched out on a long couch. He looked tired and cross. He opened one eye and gazed at Paddington. I am not signing any autographs, he growled. I don't want your autograph, said Paddington, fixing him with a hard stare. I wouldn't want your autograph if I had my autograph book, and I haven't got my autograph book, so there. Sir Seely sat up. You don't want my autograph, he said in a surprised voice. But everyone wants my autograph. Well, I don't, said Paddington. I've come to tell you to take your daughter back. He gulped the last few words. The great man seemed to have grown to about twice the size he had been on the stage, and he looked as if he was going to explode at any minute. Cecily clutched his forehead. You want me to take my daughter back, he said at last. That's right, said Paddington firmly. And if you don't, I expect she can come and stay with Mr and Mrs Brown. Cecily Boom ran his hand distractedly through his hair and then pinched himself. Mr and Mrs Brown, he repeated in a dazed voice. He looked wildly around the room and then dashed to the door. Sarah, he called in a loud voice. Sarah, come in here at once. He backed round the room until he had placed the couch between himself and Paddington. Keep away, bear, he said dramatically, and then peered at Paddington, for he was rather short-sighted. You are a bear, aren't you? he added. That's right, said Paddington, from darkest Peru. Sir Seely looked at his woollen hat. Well then, he said, crossly, playing for time. You ought to know better than to wear a green hat in my dressing room. Don't you know green is a very unlucky colour in the theatre? Take it off at once. It's not my fault, said Paddington. I wanted to wear my proper hat. He had just started to explain all about his hat when the door burst open and the lady called Sarah entered. Paddington immediately recognised her as Sir Seely's daughter in the play. That's all right, he said. I've come to rescue you. You've what? The lady seemed most surprised. Sarah? Sir Seely Bloom came out from behind the couch. Sarah, protect me from this, this mad bear. I'm not mad, said Paddington indignantly. Then kindly explain what you're doing in my dressing room boomed the grain tactor. Paddington sighed. Sometimes people were very slow to understand things. Patiently, he explained it all to them. When he had finished, the lady called Sarah threw back her head and laughed. I'm glad you think it's funny, said Sir Seely. But darling, don't you see, she said, it's a great compliment. Paddington really believes you were throwing me out into the world without a penny. It shows what a great actor you are. Sir Seely thought for a moment. Hmm, he said gruffly. Quite an understandable mistake, I suppose. He looks a remarkably intelligent bear, come to think of it. Paddington looked from one to the other. Then you were only acting all this time, he faltered. 
The lady bent down and took his paw. Of course, darling, but it was very kind of you to come to my rescue. I shall always remember it. Well, I would have rescued you if you'd wanted it, said Paddington. Sir Celie coughed. Uh, are you interested in the theatre, Bear? He boomed. Oh, yes, said Paddington. Very much. Except I don't like having to pay so much for everything. I want to be an actor when I grow up. The lady called Sarah jumped up. Why, Seely, darling, she said, looking at Paddington. I've an idea. She whispered in Sir Seely's ear, and then Sir Seely looked at Paddington. It's a bit unusual, he said thoughtfully, but it's worth a try. Yes, it's certainly worth a try. In the theatre itself, the interval was almost at an end, and the Browns were getting restless. Oh dear, said Mrs Brown, wonder where he's got to. If he doesn't hurry up, said Mr Brown, he's going to miss the start of the second act. A young bear gentleman asked me to give you this, he announced. He said it was very urgent. Uh, thank you, said Mr Brown, taking the note and opening it. What does it say? asked Mrs Brown anxiously. Is he all right? Mr Brown handed her the note to read. Your guess is as good as mine, he said. Mrs Brown looked at it. It was hastily written in pencil, and it said, I have been given a very important job. Paddington. P.S. I will tell you about it later. Now what on earth can that mean? She said. Trust something unusual to happen to Paddington. I don't know, said Mr Brown, settling back in his chair as the lights went down. But I'm not going to let it spoil the play. I hope the second half is better than the first, said Jonathan. I thought the first half was rotten. That man kept on forgetting his lines. The second half was much better than the first. From the moment Sir Seely strode onto the stage, the theatre was electrified. A great change had come over him. He no longer fumbled over his lines, and people who had coughed all through the first half now sat up in their seats and hung on his every word. When the curtain finally came down on the end of the play, with Cecilie's daughter returning to his arms, there was a great burst of applause. The curtain rose again, and the whole company bowed to the audience. Then it rose while Cecilie and Sarah bowed, but still the cheering went on. Finally, Cecilie stepped forward and raised his hand for quiet. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, thank you for your kind applause. We are indeed most grateful. But before you leave, I would like to introduce you to the youngest and most important member of our company, a young uh, bear who came to our rescue. The rest of Sir Seely's speech was drowned in a buzz of excitement as he stepped forward to the very front of the stage where a small screen hid a hole in the boards, which was the prompt box. He took hold of one of Paddington's paws and pulled it. Paddington's head appeared through the hole. In his other paw, he was grasping a copy of the script. Come along, Paddington, said Sir Seely. Come and take your bow. I can't, grasped Paddington. I think I'm stuck. And stuck he was. It took several stagehands, the fireman and a lot of butter to remove him after the audience had gone. But he was far enough out to twist round 
and raised his hat to the cheering crowd before the curtain came down for the last time. Several nights later, anyone going into Paddington's room would have found him sitting up in bed with his scrapbook, a pair of scissors and a pot of paste. He was busy pasting in a picture of Sir Seeley Bloom, which the great man had signed. To Paddington, with grateful thanks. To Paddington, with grateful thanks. There was also a signed picture from the lady called Sarah, and one of his proudest possessions, a newspaper cutting about the play, headed, Paddington Saves the Day. Mr Gruber had told him that the photographs were probably worth a bit of money, but after much thought, he decided not to part with them. In any case, Sir Seely Bloom had given him his twenty pence back and a pair of opera glasses. <laughs>